This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello and welcome to Front Office Features. I am Rob Crane and we've got our first two-time guest, uh, Dan Lust, who is a national sports law analyst. And Chris and I tag-team the interview and we talk about the NCAA's big announcement this past week about the potential of paying college athletes. When this news dropped, uh, Chris and I knew we had to get Dan and talk about uh, this breaking news so uh, Dan's got a great ability of taking a very complicated subject and simplifying it so we all can better understand. So uh, he does a great job and just want to get right into it. Uh, it's a very interesting topic, a very timely topic, uh, and one that will uh, ignite some more discussion. So hope you enjoy our second conversation with Dan Lust, who is a national sports law analyst. Before we get to today's podcast, I just want to say we have great listeners and want more people to be able to get the content that you love. To help spread the front office features word, we need you to do a few things. First, follow us on social media. Search front office features on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn for tons of content to help your growing sports business career. We also need you to rate and review on our Apple and Spotify podcast pages. The more you do that, the easier it is for others to find front office features. If you have already done that, thank you. Now go share this episode on your Instagram story. Hello and welcome to Front Office Features. I am Rob Crane. I'm here with uh, Chris Valente. Uh, Chris, how are you? Fantastic. How are you? Doing well. We've got a guest. Uh, uh, for the first time, we've brought somebody back. We've got Dan Lust. He's a national sports law analyst. He was with us uh, maybe a month or two ago. Uh, Dan, welcome back. Thanks for having me. It's quite the honor to be the first return guest in the, uh-huh. the show. I'll take it. <laughs> well, well, we're glad that you came back. Uh, you know, we've asked like 30 other people to come back and they all told us, no, you're the first one to say yes. That makes me feel so much better. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So, Dan, the reason we wanted to ask you back is you have been, um, I don't know if outspoken is the right word, uh, but you have been very uh, boisterous on your thoughts on college athletes being paid. And there was some news that came out this past week, and we wanted to bring you on so you could kind of talk us through, like, what's happened in the past, what was the news this week, and how does this affect us going forward? So can you give us maybe a little history lesson first, and then we can kind of get into uh, the news of the week? Sure, sure. So 
you know, um, what, what I'll try to kind of explain, we had some, definitely some big news, um, that's happened this week. Um, but it's, it's not the, the be all end all. It's just kind of recommendations that are being made to the NCAA, but you kind of have to understand the history of how this, you know, these recommendations came to be. So this conversation all started, uh, with something called fair pay to play that was passed in California. Um, and you know, I, I'm not sure her, I, I guys, I'm politically agnostic, you know, so don't read too much into democratic Republican. I just, I'm a sports fan. So whatever, no, whatever side of that falls on, I'm pretty that. Amen. So, you know, way, way back when, a couple months ago at this point in California, um, there's very rarely an issue that's passed uh, bipartisan, which means that both houses unanimously approve of something. But um, the California um, legislator found something in that when they kind of when someone put up this fair pay to play, which is a, a bill to approve of uh, student athletes to be paid uh, to play college sports. So what exactly that would entail, uh, at least in the state of California, it would be, um, you know, what I've kind of called on Twitter. Um, and I should mention, guys, uh, I'm at Sports Law Lust on Twitter. Um, great follow. Great follow. We were just talking about it on our last podcast. I get all my news from Dan now. I, I try to like, I, you know what's funny? I'm in this this nice little lane. You know, if there's something in hockey, there's something in golf. Anything that touches legally, um, you know, I try to, to pick up on it. So, um, yeah, but uh, – you know, I, I had mentioned it on Twitter that this thing in California was wasn't it wasn't the schools going to be paying anybody. It was just basically giving you an entrepreneurship license to go out. And if you were capable of getting endorsements, you should you could be able to go out uh, and do that. So, you know, it's it's almost like they were California was allowing their athletes. Right. Only like, you know, UCLA, Stanford, USC, those California schools, Santa Cruz um, to give themselves an opportunity to make money. So it's a, an additional revenue stream. So um, California said that by 2023, this is going to be implemented in the state of California. So they were giving, uh, you know, four years, essentially three and a half uh, for the NCAA to figure out their own system or else California said, we're going to make life very difficult for you because our athletes in the state of California are going to be paid. You guys can figure the rest out. So uh, when that happened, you know, I went, uh, I spoke on, um, you know, a number of radio stations and kind of explaining it. And I said, you know, this is really big. Um, and it's really big because California has these big schools with a lot of talented athletes. So what the NCAA and some you know, uh, big conference commissioners had said, California is going to end up with a very unfair advantage if that happens. Because, you know, if you're the version of LeBron James in any sport, you know, why go play any in any of the other 49 states when you could play for like a UCLA or a USC you know, be at a top school and get paid some crazy amount of money, be it six figures. Yeah, right. It's no brainer. Um, so I guess before I jump into it, what, what did you guys think of fair pay to play when that first came out? I thought it was interesting. Um, I wanted to learn more because it felt like, okay, now what? Uh, but it felt like there had to be more to more to come. Chris, what did you think? Yeah, the, it was seemed like the first domino that was going to start the process to get them talking, and it something something needed to happen to initiate. Obviously, now to get to this level, so it, it seemed like a, a good first step because I think Rob and I talked about this last night. We're big proponents of the college athletes being allowed to generate money off of their likeness, and whether they've been being paid other ways for for a while is a different dis- discussion, but. That had the perpetuity and the way it all happened. I remember, I remember the, the case from Ed O'Bannon years ago suing because of EA Sports using his likeness years later. So, like, I thought it was a great step, but now we there was always another shoe to drop. 
It, it, exactly right. And Ed O'Bannon, coincidentally, is from UCLA. So I, I think that <laughs> probably had a lot to do with that. Um, so, you know, I, I was like you guys. I go, there's, there's something going to happen here, right? It's California is California. Let's see what the other states do. Um, but in, again, importantly, with the NCAA, you know, they're giving you these little breadcrumbs. Uh, Ohio, you know, the Ohio State AD and Wisconsin's AD, they go, we're not going to play. We're going to refuse to play California schools if they and only they get this advantage. So um, it was interesting, right? I, I don't know how that would have worked, but those threats were being put out there. So in the next, uh, you know, maybe it's about six months that has passed since then, um, we saw states across the country pass their own versions of fair pay to play. Not the same thing, but slightly different. Um, and I'm from yeah, New Colorado York. Colorado had one too, right? Colorado, Florida, South Carolina, Pennsylvania, you know, Pennsylvania. It was all, if they hadn't passed already, they're on the, you know, on the, the table to be passed. Um, you know, just to, the point being that these, these were not the same compensation laws going to be passed in individual states. New York, um, where I'm from, was going to say, if a school makes X amount of money from players, you know, from college sports in general, that 15% of that pie should be divided amongst all of their athletes, which is, you know, I think much bigger than what California was envisioning. So, you know, there's a, there was a, still is, I mean, there's a complex world where we have basically uh, every school with their own athletes getting paid in a different way. So not, not an ideal scenario for the NCAA, especially when all these different ADs are worried about people getting advantages. So um, this kind of all set the table um, the NCA and, you know, uh, they made this big announcement a couple months ago. Hey, we've heard you guys. We're going to figure it out. We're going to get a committee together called the name and likeness. You know, we're going to issue a report to the NCA Board of Governors. We're going to listen to what all the other states are doing. We're going to do our own research. And we're going to, as an NCA, allow athletes to get paid. Stay tuned. We'll let you know what it is. Um, and guys, th that's this is what the announcement have this week. We had their recommendations that came out. So what role does the federal government uh, potentially play in this? Isn't there some antitrust laws that they've got to get through? Um, there are. There, there's actually a, a kind of a few hurdles. So on, on the first level, uh, you know, what we're seeing in the news today with coronavirus, there's something, uh, it's a legal concept, but you guys will have just seen it, right? States can do what, whatever they want in the absence of federal legislation telling them to do something. So, you know, when you see Florida opening up the beaches in Florida, you know, and we can talk about this too, Florida, Ron DeSantis, the governor over there saying that, uh, you know, he wants fans, baseball fans in the stands watching games by June. He can say that while in New York, you know, our governor, Andrew Cuomo is nowhere near that um, because states can do whatever they want. So to the extent that um, the federal government uh, came in and they passed their own type of legislation, that would preempt everything that the states are doing. So, there's really two avenues to have, we'll say, uniform student-athlete compensation. Um, and when I say uniform, I mean a world where California is doing, not doing one thing and New York's doing something different. So that's, you know, on the federal level, federal legislation that they come up with their own plan, which um, I know is, at least on the table, hasn't been passed yet. Uh, and the other one is this kind of scenario we're talking about with the, the NCAA. So um, them coming up with their own system. And when it comes to antitrust, uh, you know, um, restraints and whatnot, um, antitrust is basically, uh, it's, it sounds kind of complicated, but it, it's the concept that in America, you know, we want to have a free economy. We want to let people be entrepreneurs and, you know, make money, you know, off themselves to the extent they can. So you can't unfairly and unduly restrict someone's wages. Uh, and what some scholars will argue is that um, in the, across the NCA landscape, let's say there's a thousand students on campus. I'm just using a, a round number. You know, the fact that 
every other student on the campus can make money in some way, shape, or form off of their abilities and their skill set, other than the you know ten percent that are athletes. People say that that's unfair wage discrimination against athletes. Um, so there is uh, an antitrust hurdle, uh, and that's why you know I'm happy to, to dive into it. But that's why as Part of this name and likeness report that was pre presented to the NCAA Board of Governors this week, they're asking for an antitrust exemption, a very clear one. So to the extent that they in any way, you know, uh, identify athletes as someone that's, you know, a protected class or anything like that, um, that they wouldn't get hit with some type of huge uh, antitrust case. Dan, how much has the recent news of like a Jalen Green skipping the NCAA and going to the G League, do you think sped up this process? Because before... A, a high school basketball player had a decision either they were going to go overseas and make the money, which was always a threat, but very few people ever went through with it, or go to college for a one and done. Football really doesn't have that avenue or, or escape yet, but there's been three massive recruits in this year alone have now are going to jettison for the G League. I mean, does the NCAA, is that why they're all of a sudden now more open to this? Like, what changed? I I think the, it was already in place before any of these G Leagues, you know, these uh, these guys kind of went toward the G League. Um, but I, I will say this. I mean, like, I, I've been pretty, um, I guess, vocal. I don't know if outspoken, but definitely vocal about it. Like, if you're, for example, there's there's three, um, you know, players that have gone to the G League. The, the one that I, I think is most interesting in this is a guy named uh, Deshaun Nix, who was supposed to be the top point guard. He was going to go to UCLA. And I mentioned UCLA in particular um, because that's a school where – you know, their entire government is unanimously in support of a system where Deshaun Nix could have been paid some amount of money to go play at UCLA. But now he decommits from UCLA, the top point guard in the entire country, to go play for the G League. So that's probably speeding up, you know, UCLA and their whatever influence they have, pushing the NCAA, get this thing going, because now we just lost the top, you know, blue chipper, um, really, in, you know, for summer sports in the entire country. That's not going to go well for UCLA. Um, but, you know, in a larger landscape, right, we see these three G League, you know, G League get three big names, which I don't know if they've ever got any names, let alone three of the biggest names in college right. sports. Right. Um, and they're, they're getting paid somewhere in the vicinity. I think the main guy is getting paid uh, 500000 I think the other, you know, Knicks and the, and the other guy are getting 300000 But that's, that's not a small chunk of change. Um, you know, maybe 10 years ago at this point, maybe a little bit more. I remember – uh, Brandon Jennings was the top high school player in the country and got paid like 1.2 million to go play in Europe. He skipped skipped college, and I think he you know he hurt his draft stock a little. He dropped to the you know I think he was maybe the eighth pick, right around there. Um, so you know in the whole context of what we're looking at in this culture, like you know Lamelo Ball and R.J. Hampton were two guys that also you know went to Australia. So we'll, we'll see how that you know impacts their draft stock, um, and then we'll see what happens with the G League guys. But I think. The NCA is seeing a lot of these star players start to defect, and I and I do think the overall um, pressures are kind of speeding up their time frame. We'll see how quickly they get their act together with these recommendations, though. So, from a revenue standpoint, and this is what I think a lot of uh, common folks don't really always understand is the endorsement deals, even at the professional level, typically aren't as big as people assume, and there's only really a handful of guys who get the big checks, and most of it is in basketball. In, in regards to this, and what, where do you see – how much money do you think is actually going to be poured into this outside of the, the world of basketball and shoe contracts, be using their likeness? Because that's what the people always want to lock up for long term. And it's probably going to be, a, I would imagine, a handful of guys who are still going to be benefiting from this. I don't think all of a sudden all these college athletes are going to have 
massive endorsement deals. I, I agree. I mean, the, the, the problem is this, you know, uh, this, this report that the, this was given to the NCAA board of governors, it's, you know, on, on the one hand, yes, it's definitely progress. Um, but the way I kind of phrase it on Twitter is that it's one step forward. Obviously they're giving a proposal to the board of governors that helps, but you know, I, they, in the same sense, they go, we're, we're putting out these, you know, proposals, but we're putting these, what they're, they're calling, I'm not saying this, these guardrails in place. And then this is the the part that really kind of gave me pause to, to prevent any situation that uh, would resemble something like a, a school, you know, uh, paying an athlete to play or something. And they go, um, these would include no name, image and likeness activities that would be considered pay for play. So I'm sitting here, you know, I've, you know I'm pretty involved in this culture. I read a lot. Um, I mean, Fair pay to play is the name of the legislation in California. And now the NCAA is saying the same week, like we're putting guardrails in place to prevent pay for play. So, you know, when it comes down to it, it's hard to say how much money would be given in in endorsements if they're going to kind of chop this thing off before it starts. Um, You know, I had I had said uh, there was a leaked report that came from the AP News last week that kind of said boosters were not necessarily off the table. Uh, for college athletes, maybe they could get paid by boosters. And then within a couple of days of that, the same, you know, the name, image and likeness recommendations, it says, you know, no, no name, image and likeness for recruiting by schools or boosters. So, I, you know, I'm not sure what boosters or involvement they could have if they're not, you know, recruiting the guy to come to the school. That's really where money would be coming into play, to so to speak. Um, so, you know, the other thing I should mention that's that's been tossed out that the NCAA, I mean, the NCAA could still put this in, but a cap on overall earnings, if they really don't want a version of like LeBron James to be making seven figures, uh, and, and I think would be an interesting scenario, right? If LeBron James was really making seven figures and was like the big man on campus playing for UCLA or USC, you know, why necessarily, why does he have to go to the pros so quickly? Maybe he just hangs out there and becomes, you know, the super money maker on campus. Um, the, the, you know, the counter to that is that these schools could put in place and they still can now division one, division two, II, division three, or any of these conferences to cap the amount of money a player could earn. So, you know, I, I think the battle is still to be fought here because we just have recommendations. We have nothing final. And at the end of the day, the end of this report says that again, these divisions and conferences, um, have the freedom to limit this further in their own discretion. So, um, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think we can put an amount of money on it. And even if we tried to, we had to hire the best economists. We don't know how much is going to be chopped off or capped uh, for these other entities. And uh, Dan, we talk about some of the challenges. They still have to figure out like deals, like, I don't know, take Trevor Lawrence, right? He's probably the biggest name football player uh, in college sports. Clemson's a Nike property. Could he go out and get a, uh, a deal from Under Armour? I mean, you you wouldn't think the school would would want to allow that. It wouldn't. It would just be counterintuitive. Um, the but isn't it up to the? Wouldn't it be up to the student? You would. Well, you would. You would think so. Um, but at the end yeah. of the day, the school the school is going to have. I mean, just you have to take it in a in a vacuum. Who's going to have? Uh, you, you'd have to think the school is going to have some ability to filter some of these endorsements in. These are all proposals in some way, shape or form, but it wouldn't make sense for, I mean, you don't see it in the NBA. I mean, we've, we've seen videos, right? Like LeBron gets to the podium and he pulls off, you know, the Powerade sticker or, you know, vice versa. You just not, I just can't see a scenario where that happens when it comes to Trevor Lawrence. You know, these reports are kind of envisioning Trevor Lawrence being able to have like a quarterback Academy and he could, you know, in theory have high school athletes come and learn from him over the summer, which, Sounds like a great idea, but I, I would think it would be very unlikely that he's wearing, you know, the opposite 
you know, if it's Nike or Adidas or Under Armour, um, I, I can't see that happening. I'd be really surprised if the players got that much freedom. I think, so Dan, on the surface, like having read into this a little bit, it seemed like this was an easy give by the NCAA to not have it cost them anything to not pay the players, but make it from a PR standpoint. Like, look, we're letting them go out and do what they need to do. When in the, when in the reality is the NCAA is still generating billions of dollars for themselves and the players are not going to see a dollar of that still. That's correct, right? Just to clarify that the NCAA is not going to be out laying any amount of money for these players. And neither will the schools. That's that's correct. So, you know, the the, the problem is with that, guys. Yes, there, there's no money that's going to be directly going from the college or the NCAA to players. I mean, there's we've always heard talk for years of them being given a stipend to play, but that's not that's not what this is. Um, you know, I, I think there's there's some... You know, just not not necessarily my opinion. I just think it's interesting. You know, the NCA and, and uh, you know the schools have a right to determine what sources of income come in. Uh, yet they're the only ones that can control it. So the the one that's come up this week that I you know I'm I'm a little bit biased too. I used to you know I lived on the NCA football game franchise when I was growing up. I just right. I was just going to ask you about this. Yeah, it's I loved it. I mean, it's just it's a great game. I mean, I don't I think the sales were obviously a little less than Madden, but it's one of their main flagship franchises. And you guys bring up. Ed O'Bannon, that, you know, that franchise went away because of the Ed, Ed O'Bannon lawsuit. That's, that's pretty clear. Yep. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a huge money-making revenue, uh, money, money, uh, money-making generator for the NCA, for the schools. And, you know, the report is this week that, you know, in this giant report, you know, the name and likeness committee is not recommending that the NCA change its stance with respect to group licenses. So they don't mention video games, but group licenses is a way to, uh, as a group, give the players likenesses, you know, to an EA Sports to create a video game franchise. Hypothetically, if, uh, you know, if it said contrary and, and they said they were going to bring back the NCAA football video game franchise, that would be a boatload, boatload of money that would go to the NCAA. So if we're living in a world where athletes can get paid and I'm, you know, the parent of a top college player in the country, I would be saying, well, you know, you guys are entitled to make money. And the NCAA is getting, we'll make up a number, $500 million total for the video game franchise. Why aren't now you getting a piece of that? It doesn't really, it wouldn't really make sense to me. So I think part of, part of them not changing, you know, their, their rules on group licensing is trying to kind of cap and control the amount of money coming in. Otherwise it's an absolute no brainer. Why wouldn't you bring that amount of money in? Um, And then this is just me kind of just looking at the landscape. If in theory, you made that argument, right? That we'd be entitled to video game revenue as players in some way, shape, or form, however you want to divvy it up. Then you kind of open up Pandora's box and you say, well, you know, if UCLA, for example, is getting paid, you know, $100 million to broadcast its TV rights, you know, why don't you make the same argument there? Players should be entitled to that. Um, so this is, you know, the second, once athletes are given the green light to get paid in some way, shape, or form, it's going to start opening up these type of higher level and more lucrative conversations, which um, I think is kind of par for the course as player empowerment creeps into college sports. Yeah, so that's that's a great. So you, you mentioned about how the players get paid or from a video game. That's all done by the PAs and all the professional leagues. Do you do you think that's going to happen for at some point where the college players have a representation from a, as a group? I mean, it's years, years down the road because we're they're, they're fighting to even get like one dollar as opposed to like you know the the huge cash flow that could come in. But you know, I, I think. Uh, and, and I've, you know, I mentioned this on Twitter, like we have a world, right? They're saying you could go out and you can have the Trevor Lawrence uh, passing Academy and, you know, whatever type of endorsements are allowed, you know, then you have to ask yourself, okay, 
let's say I'm, you know, I'm Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I want to focus on being the number one overall pick in the draft. Uh, and I want to focus on being a, you know, a good student. I don't have time to recruit and go to all these local car dealerships and wherever else I'm going to, to make some money. Who's going to do that, right? Do, do Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Lawrence, his parents do that? Um, you know, who's doing it? The school? So I, I think there's, I mean, it's not in the, the report. I just think it makes too much sense uh, for an athlete like that of his caliber to not be able to maximize the money he was making. Or if, if it comes to like, you know, like a video game revenue, that there be some committee to determine, you know, how much money should be going to where and who's fighting for that. So I, I you know, we, we've talked about for years, right, agents involved in the NCAA. There's this great uh, documentary on HBO. The name um, escapes me. Oh, uh, I think it's Inside Scheme, maybe the, the Christian Dawkins one that just came out. Um, but, you know, there's agents that are, you know, always been alleged to have been involved in the underbelly of college sports. But, you know, why not allow a, you know, financial professional to help manage these college players, get the most bang for their buck in this scenario? So I, I wouldn't rule that out either. It just makes too much sense on, on a higher level. The um, I just had I was looking I was kind of feeding through your uh, I was looking through your your Twitter feed so we've talked a lot about um, you know what it may, means for top tier college athletes what could this potentially mean for the guy at you know the backup uh, you know offensive guard at Louisiana Tech or something I mean it it could mean I mean let's let's it's probably a, more of a dichotomy if you take it to like you know women's softball or like riflery or one of these random sports that no one watches like yeah. so i i saw one of my um i have this uh my sports law professor is a guy by the name of mark edelman he's a good dude he uh he's tweeting today uh in theory right all these schools like we, we mentioned it right like some schools are nike schools some schools are adidas schools okay so let's say nike right they they want to maximize their investment um, and we, we know, right. We know what the numbers look like college basketball and college football are the top two money makers. So, but Nike is supplying shoes and equipment to every sport and for a given school, it's not just basketball and football and all the other sports fend for themselves. If you're a Nike school, every single one of your sports gets Nike gear. So in this world, um, if athletes are really allowed to make a deal directly with Nike, if I'm Nike, right, if I'm Nike's attorney or I'm their financial analyst, maybe I maybe I say, hey, wouldn't we be better off instead of having 50 Nike schools around the country? Wouldn't we be better off just picking the 50 best athletes in the college level and just paying them directly? Uh, I, I mean, it just makes a lot of sense with whether they do it or not as a different story. So when you're kind of asking how this impacts uh, the offensive lineman, right, or it impacts uh, – you know, uh, someone all the way down the line at a sport that you and I have never heard of. I know like, uh, like, uh, you know, badminton or any of these crazy yeah, crew sports. crew at BU or something. <laughs> crew, right. Some, any sport without a big television contract. I think that's the fear that in theory, in this world, you go all the way down the rabbit hole, 10, 15 years down the line. Once all these contracts expire with the schools that school, that Nike will just go directly to a player and say, Hey, we want you to be the face of our thing for the next four years and we'll pay we want you to go from freshman to senior stay for four years we'll pay you a boatload of money um so i i see that in play and i think that the ncaa has to be very mindful uh of title nine uh, violations which is you know um a fancy way T title nine is this uh this you know doctrine of the law that you can't uh give uh certain you can't discriminate against certain sports it kind of came up in the in the women's sports context if you're going to have uh, a men's baseball team you need to have a women's softball team but you can't 
give more uh, economic benefits to the men's baseball team without giving that to the women's team. So I know the NCAA had kind of brought up in that world where we have to be more mindful of, of the women's sports and the kind of un, uh, you know, underrepresented sports. So definitely something to be mindful of and definitely a, a, a potentially a, a really big roadblock for that world. So what's next, right? Is it getting more in states? Is it federal stuff? What is the next step after this recommendation? So as a kind of interesting aside, I meant to mention it before. Do you guys remember this uh, wide receiver for the Colts, Anthony Gonzalez? Remember that guy? Yep. Yep. He's yep. like a slot receiver, like a little Ohio guy. State. You go to Ohio, Ohio State. State. He went to yep. Ohio State, yes. So uh, in his post-NFL life, uh, he's gone into politics. And actually, of all people, he's the guy pushing this federal um, you know, legislation. Uh, so that's, you know, that's one level of it. Could, you know, Anthony Gonzalez be the guy? Um, I don't say Tony Gonzalez because obviously there's a very big Tony Gonzalez. Yeah, big the, difference, big difference, yeah. Big difference, and I think big difference in height too. I imagine. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, but but federal legislation is one leg of this, and the other leg is just going the NCAA route. These are just recommendations being given to the NCAA Board of Governors, who are at the top of the the pyramid. They're going to come up with their own decision. It doesn't have to be these recommendations, right? It can be completely opposite. They could go even a more restricted versions of these you know, guardrails. Um, so that's where it goes from here. And I think the way that, uh, you know, this, let's say you put the, the, uh, fire, you put the NCA to the fire is states keep passing laws that are completely contradictory. Um, I know Florida's laws come into play, uh, as early as 20, the summer of 2021. And I know the NCA is saying that these recommendations are hoping to lead to, um, you know, rules that would go into effect by the summer of 2021. So that looks like it's going to be once we start seeing these things come into play. But in theory, if you have a state, you know, a state that hasn't done anything so far, uh, I'm going to ho- hopefully they haven't done anything. South Dakota, we'll just do a random one. Um, if they, in theory, have a, a system that comes into place as early as, you know, the fall, uh, you're going to have an interesting scenario where, you know, NCA might say we don't want to compete against them. I think, you know, if we use a, a state like Texas or something like that, it's probably a better example just because, you know, yeah. with the Longhorns, you know, Texas A&M. Um, but that's still a scenario that's in play. Florida passed their, you know, their laws a couple months ago and they just wanted to put the data as, you know, 2021. They definitely could have done it in September. Um, but, guys, there's always this kind of looming uh, situation with coronavirus. We, we don't know the next time the college sport will be played. So uh, that could also delay the conversation as well. You know, um, you have been extremely helpful with kind of making this into layman's terms and what it really means. And uh, I also think you do a great job of that on your uh, Twitter feed uh, at Sports Law Lust. I'm going through your feed as we as we talk and you're talking about, you know, when is it reasonably safe to come back from coronavirus? You're talking about what the umpires are doing in baseball and uh, and a million different other things. And uh uh, at Sports Law Lust is, is a great follow. And um, Dan, we're so thankful uh, that you would come and join us again uh, on uh, on Front Office Features because you really provide a unique uh, viewpoint into some of the sports business news. And uh, you're excellent at articulating that. So thank you very much um, for joining us. And I know that uh, Chris and I will be reaching out again. Well, um, much appreciated for those kind words. And I just have one favor. The second you have a guy make their first repeat appearance, I I better be the first one with their third repeat appearance. We'll we'll shake on that one. So, uh, Dan, you're the best. Um, Thanks again for for doing it, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon, all right? Thanks, guys. Have a good day.